Welcome to Sunday Sermons and other recordings from the Unitarian Universalist Church of Davis, California. Please visit our website at www.uudavis.org for further information. station just about every Sunday morning. And the Reverend Morgan McLean has a Sunday off, as does Alex Hader Winnett. And so you just got me. And And I'm Emily Burstein. I'm the worship associate this morning. This morning's words of welcome are written by the Reverend Erica Hewitt. A warm welcome to you on this morning. This is a time of joy, comfort, and sometimes challenges. Our Unitarian Universalist congregation is where we come to learn more about being human. We're not here because we figured out life's questions or because we think we've got it all right. We come here to learn more about being in relationship together, how to listen, how to forgive, how to be vulnerable, and how to create trust and compassion in one another. So welcome. Come for the joy. Come for the way we help each other in times of sorrow. Together, we'll find how communities can change the world. Today, I invite Carl Kolek to come forward and light our chalice. Carl is one of the veterans who discussed patriotism with me. He and his family... He and his wife have recently moved to Fairfield, California, and are on the path to membership here at UUCD. We're very happy they have joined us. We light this chalice to honor the memory of those who have come before us, keeping the flames of wisdom, willing to be brave, giving us a legacy of freedom, and a love of truth, a legacy that warms our hearts and lights our path. So here it is. I tried something last service, and it was kind of fun. So let me try it again, and we'll do it for a couple of minutes. So you see that there are a lot of flags up here. Um, You have to be careful to know that they're not at half-mast. Some of them are slipping. But um, there's actually some ambivalence among Unitarian Universalists sometimes when they see patriotic symbols or rituals. I know that's hard to believe, but it's true. We have a thing about authority sometimes. But I want to start, and, and I want to take hands from people who are shorter than my shoulder first. Um, If Kathy Tucker were here, she would qualify, as much as she hates to be remembered for that one characteristic. What do you think of when you see the American flag? Anybody? I I see a couple hands back there. I can't come to you quite as quickly as you can come to me. 
So you can come down and speak into the microphone. This is exciting. What do you think of when you see the American flag? People that fight in the war. Okay. I mean, World War One. Okay, in World War One. Excellent. Anyone else? Peg, you're right. Someone has spoken who is under my shoulder height. I think of. It's on. Can you hear me? Can uh, it is on. Mm -hmm. I think of what a wonderful, wonderful country we have, and I'm so grateful I live here, and I know all of you. Anyone else? Anyone? I think of the Star-Spangled Banner. Okay. And then I get upset about the bombs bursting in air. Okay. This is all honest. This is good. Jill? I'm sad to think about Iran and Iranians burning our flag. Okay. I think about the past and the reverence we held for it when I grew up. Okay, and I see someone in the very back here that I want to get. I think it's Davis. So hold on. Davis, come my way just a little bit. Here we go. I think of all that we went, with all that we fought through during the war and when we became uh, the 50 states. Okay. And I see another one back here. This is just what I wanted. People, all people. I feel sad when I think about World War II because a lot of, a lot of soldiers died. That's right. I really, but I really like how they tried to win. Thank you. Okay, and somebody, you need to come to me just a little bit so I don't spend quite as much time on the hoof. Here we go, we've got a scout. Us scouts put the American flag on the people on the the flagpole the flagpole of the people who died in the war oh, on the graves yes indeed anyone else I'll take one or two more I love seeing we have some scouts in the room and they're wearing their uniforms as well as leaders thank you for that um, I have mixed feelings uh, up through World War II. Um, I feel um, I, I feel like a lot of our history, particularly recent, is misguided. Uh, I feel like we've been our foreign policy has been misguided, and I feel like when I see the flag, I think of imperialism um, and a lot of other things. I'm not particularly proud. I don't feel like what we've done is justified. So we have a lot of different opinions, and this is what we've, we're discovering. Um, as we have small groups talking about patriotism and what that means to be a patriot. Dick. Thank you. You know, I think what a great country we really have. We strive to make it better, and we're still doing that. We have a long way to go, but we'll make it. That's somebody from the Tasty Theology group who's already had a time to process this. Well, I think uh, about the flag differently on different days. If it's a holiday like the Veterans Day or the Fourth of July or so on, then I think people are making a statement about how they really approve of our country. 
But at other times, I think it's a political statement. The flag belongs to me. It doesn't belong to you. We're going to offer some challenges to that today. Um, but I'm very impressed with all that I've heard here, and I'm glad that you heard each other, and I'm glad that you've heard people of all ages speak about what they know about the flag and what it means to them. And I'm so grateful to see our scouts here today in their uniforms. With that, we are going to sing people to their groups. So one of the things that we do occasionally is to uh, offer a challenge or two to the congregation. And I have right here, um, it says guest speaker. Um, and all I ask is that our guest speaker do this reading with me and that they not have been a worship associate or be one currently. And so this waits for you. Anyone? There she goes. Thank you so much. There are three pages, I tell you now. <laughs> but it's big print. Are you, are you ready? We're good. Where is that America of mine? By Ariel Dorfman. Let me tell you, America, of the hopes I have for you. How could I not wish you well? You gave me an Americano from the Latino South, this language of love that I return to you. You gave me the hot summer afternoons of my childhood in Queens, calculating Jackie Robinson's batting average. How could I not wish you well? You gave me refuge when I was a toddler, my family fleeing the fascist thugs in the mid-1940s. I was one of you then, still one of you now. How could I not wish you well? You offered me the freedom to speak out that I did not have before. You gave me the opportunity to write and teach. You gave me a gringa granddaughter. How could I not love the house she lives in? Where is that America of mine? Where is that other America? Where is the America of, as I would not be a slave, so I would not be a master? The America of, this land is our land. This land was meant for you and me. The America of all men and all women, every one of us on this ravaged, glorious earth of ours, all of us, created equal? Created equal, one baby in Afghanistan or Iraq, as sacred as one baby in Minneapolis. Where is my America? The America that taught me tolerance of every race and every religion that filled me with pioneer energy that is generous to a fault when catastrophe strikes. Was I wrong when I believed America the just? America the rebellious, the unselfish, would rise to the challenge, was still alive, not entirely spoiled by excessive wealth, with the courage to conquer its own fear. Am I wrong to believe that the country that gave the world jazz and Faulkner and Eleanor Roosevelt will be able to look at itself in the cracked mirror of history and join the rest of humanity? 
not as a city on a separate hill, but as one more city in the shining valleys of sorrow and uncertainty and hope where we all dwell, a chance to grow, America. That is my hope. Thank you so much, Susan. For this service, my task was to speak with veterans of our congregation about patriotism. I was nervous, as my knowledge of the military is minimal and my feelings principally negative. My trepidation was met with openness and graciousness as the veterans shared their memories and reflections. I spoke with six veterans and two of their wives, Milt Hildebrand, Jim Coulter, Jack Whitsett, Kirk Ridgway, Bill and Nancy Lauer, and Carl and Catherine Kolick. And I believe Milt's here at this service and also Carl. And, and Jack and, oh no, Jack's gone. Okay. Um, he is here? Okay. Their military service spans from 1943 to 2017. They were drafted and enlisted. They were in the ROTC and the reserves. Some saw combat in World War II, Vietnam, and Afghanistan. All had non-combat responsibilities. These included working as a physical therapist, flying humanitarian missions to provide food to starving people in Somalia, peacekeeping missions to test compliance with the Nuclear Test Ban Treaty, and providing life-saving medical support to U.S. troops, Afghani people, and the Taliban. This discussion was rich and complex, and I wanted more. Later, I wondered why I had rarely been curious about the experiences of family and friends who were veterans. I think my war-is-not-the-answer beliefs my desire to avoid conflict and fear that I would find traumatic experiences halted my inquisitiveness. Now I think I will be able to be more inquiring. I found that the veterans rejected the my country right or wrong brand of patriotism. However, they took very seriously their pledge to honor our Constitution. Folks mentioned protecting our country, but it wasn't the dominant theme. One likened patriotism to being a productive, honorable, and worthy citizen. All the vets grappled with working in a flawed system while trying to stay true to their own moral values. One vet told of being in Vietnam where he saw enormous suffering of civilians, yet in the day-to-day, -day, he chose to take make choices to risk his own life to protect fellow soldiers. Or in Afghanistan, one vet saw innocent people caught in the crossfire of war. Yet he was able to make a great difference by helping to save the lives of troops and civilians in areas controlled by the Taliban. One, war, one World War II vet described the challenge of being a worthy leader of a battalion after being asked to replace an officer who needlessly put troops in dangerous situations. I think I expected the veterans to have stronger opinions about the concept of patriotism. 
But as veterans, they had lived being a patriot. And I think they found it to be similar to how they lived the rest of their lives. Even though their struggles were sometimes on a life-and-death scale, often they were continually making small moral choices to try to be a good American. When I think of my own life, I don't think of myself as a patriot, but I do believe that each moral choice I make, whether at work or raising my children, radiates out and impacts my country, our country, in some tiny way. Patriotism. It's complicated. But I found it wasn't complicated to talk to UU veterans. When I approached these folks with curiosity, openness, and a desire for knowledge, I gained a much more nuanced understanding of a difficult topic. I found a new level of respect for the humanitarian work that the military and soldiers do. I saw that we could act on our patriotism in different ways, while still coming from the same UU principles. I found that talking to UUs about sensitive and difficult issues is a wonderful laboratory for finding common ground, and for that I'm thankful. And so before I begin the sermon, I just want to say thanks to Emily, um, who gathered with veterans from our congregation, and we hoped we gathered everyone together. And she became so engrossed in that conversation that Jack Whitsitt had to say, it's time to eat. It's time for lunch. And so, you know, it had to stop, but she was enriched by that conversation. And also, this sermon and her work is also informed by this group called the Tasty Theology Group. Uh, they get a little slice of theology by the whole lot of discussion. And we learned a lot about how people in our congregation feel about patriotism, what it means to be a patriot. And we also had one um, young adult from Chile and one from Brazil. So they also brought their perspective. So we bring to you... Um, hmm, a sermon and a reflection that is informed by that conversation. My relationship with patriotism and an overt love, my love song for this country, has changed in as many ways as my definition of the word God has changed over time. The God I believed in as a child was cherished and then totally rejected. It has come to a place now that is far more fluid and alive with amazement and curiosity. The same process is at work with my understanding about patriotism, and the changes have continued even as I prepared for this sermon and was writing. One of my favorite childhood memories was living at Girl Scout camp for part of the summer every year. In the evening, we would circle the flagpole at the camp, and everyone would receive a designated role as we took down that flag, always before sunset. I remember how important it was to lower the flag before dark, and God forbid that it ever touched the ground. 
There was this precise ritual to folding the flag, and we would focus without breathing. I swear I didn't breathe the whole time. Making sure we got every single crease correct. It was as if our ideals were wrapped into that flag. And as a young adult, I had the opportunity, as many of you know, to live in South Korea for several years, and I learned a lot about being American while I was there, much more than when I lived in my own country. I appreciated many characteristics of American life that I had previously taken for granted. For example, our straightforward communication, very rarely did I have to figure out, I wonder what that message meant. The admiration we have for those who think outside the box. That's a plus here. And the physical safety I experienced when neighboring countries are not threatening nuclear war. And I lived for years knowing this was a strong possibility. And being on a college campus with machine guns set up at the entrance. Although I was initially critical of the American military bases in South Korea, I came to understand that our presence as an ally was important and it was appreciated, even if there were reservations about our government's intent. I long for something that is simply easy. It was clear to the people in South Korea that we always acted with our interests at heart First, it was good news if our political designs matched the needs of the Korean people. There was a wary welcome, therefore, offered to military personnel who were stationed in Busan and in proximity to the demilitarized zone. I was aware of the difference between the institution and those who were in the armed services, who were serving, Unfortunately, I witnessed disrespectful actions toward the Korean people by those who served in our military. And there were many people there who were serving our military, but it only takes a few to have this behavior noticed. I was ashamed. I was ashamed of our presence when I saw young soldiers abusing their power with elderly men who wore the traditional clothing. And this was a wonderful thing for these older men because the Japanese in their occupation had not allowed them to wear the traditional clothing. And although I am certain this does not represent, it does not represent many military personnel, unfortunately, I met some of the people who served who were proud that officers kept women, that they would gift to the next person who was promoted to their position. They were kept women. When I returned to our country and entered seminary, my feeling about anything having to do with the armed services was ambivalent at best. And that is sad. The first congregation I served was an old Universalist church, still meeting in its original 1907 building. It was a, I guess you could say, a one-of-a-kind architectural layout. 
and I quickly discovered an odd assortment of doors and passageways. The children actually on my candidating week took me into the ladies' room and showed me a little door that could be opened up in the floor to see down into the men's room. I said, okay, and that was taken care of very shortly thereafter. On my first Sunday as their minister, I noticed something that had escaped my attention when I visited the sanctuary during the interviews. Behind this very ornate, this amazing wooden pulpit was an American flag mounted in a really heavy stand. I mean, it was meant to be there for eternity. This was really surprising because the church was intensely proud of its heritage and universalism has a history of demanding the separation of church and state. Well, given my ambivalence about anything that symbolized the military and patriotism and what I knew about the history of universalism, I just knew that this flag had to go. The question was where it would go and how it would get there. I learned in seminary that as a newly settled minister, I could expect what they called a honeymoon period, when changes could be made and there would be no conflict. No one wanted to trouble the waters. Still, it was really wise to choose those changes carefully. You don't want to, you know, waste it. So during the week when no one was around, I'd sit in the empty sanctuary and consider my predicament. As a more mature minister, I think even by one year, I would have talked with the leadership, but actually that didn't occur to me at this point. And to tell you the truth, I didn't have a master scheme. But every week, sometime during the week, I would wrestle that heavy stand with the flag into a new position a little further away from the pulpit. And what was odd is that no one seemed to notice. And it took many, many weeks for the flag to make its way to the opposite side of this big front staging area next to this very oddly placed door far away from the pulpit. And that seemed good enough at first. It really did. But then the temptation to move it out of the sanctuary became just too strong. And so the next week, the flag mysteriously disappeared (laughs) through the door. And again, no one seemed to notice. And on the other side of this oddly placed door was the ladies' room. And in the ladies' room, there was a corner for all the worship supplies and things that were only sometimes used in worship. Actually, side note, many a person late for worship thinking they were just going to use the ladies' room had made a wrong turn when leaving the ladies' room and opened the door and found themselves facing the congregation. (laughs) For many years, though, I will say I was uncomfortable with anything associated with patriotism. I equated flags, songs of our goodness and our accomplishments, not with collaboration and care for the world, but rather our country's abuse of power. And there is a reason why many people struggle with this word patriotism, as well as the rituals and the symbols that represent this love of our country. We heard from Emily about her own mixed feelings. And we know that some of our veterans felt the tension of working in a flawed system 
while staying true to their own values of being a good person. The reason for this tension continues today. In late October, Operation Faithful Patriot was created at the direction of the Department of Defense. Its purpose was to deal with the invasion of a caravan of migrants heading to the southwestern border of the United States. In total, 15,000 troops are scheduled to be deployed to protect that southern border. And by last week, 5,600 members of our military had been rushed to newly established bases along that southwest border of the country, and additional soldiers are arriving every day. If we were with the faithful patriots yesterday, really, this is a snapshot of yesterday at Base Camp Donna in Texas. We would see a bare-bones camp perched between a four-lane highway and thick metal posts of the border wall dividing the United States and Mexico. The living conditions at this quickly established military base are similar to others that have been created all along the border. And they are being compared to the American military bases established early in the Afghan and Iraq wars. There is no electricity. There is no air conditioning or source of heat. There is no mess hall where people can gather and commune and eat together. There are porta potty bathrooms, foot pump washing stations, and not enough water for regular showers. Because electricity is limited, there are few ways to charge cell phones, and the soldiers struggle to stay connected to their families, which is so important to them and to their families. They are likely to be stationed there at least until mid-December. On Friday night, the seasonal rains came, and the troops started digging trenches on the periphery of their tents to keep the water from pooling inside near their cots. If the rustic construction of the military bases is comparable to the early years of the Afghan and Iraq wars, there are also some differences. One important difference, the troops are safe within the borders of our own country, and yet they are isolated from families, and they can't leave the camp. There is a sense of betrayal. According to the New York Times, one of my Bibles, it appears that the mission was created by our country's commander-in-chief, who wanted to rally his supporters at the polls. President Trump sent up an alarm because of what he refers to as a massive caravan of asylum seekers that would force their way into this country, bringing crime and consuming our nation's resources. The Pentagon was asked to give authorization for the military to consider the people migrating north as a foreign invasion of our borders, indeed as a foreign enemy. If the Pentagon agreed, the faithful patriot troops would be armed, and should they encounter these migrant people, it is expected that they would respond with force, with violence. The Pentagon refused, saying that the request was legally treacherous and it encouraged the use of force 
that was disproportionate to the threat. Thank you, Pentagon. One official of our armed services said that the most effective ways, one of the most effective ways to undermine the morale of soldiers is to ask them to use force that is beyond what the situation requires. The caravan is not what President Trump and right-wing news portray. There is a steady stream of refugees who are seeking asylum, sometimes for a better life, but they are often fleeing starvation and situations of war. They need support, ongoing support, which is why the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee asked us to contribute this year to those migrant people through the guest at your table boxes that many of you took last week, putting money in at every meal. And at the end, we will all send our money together to help people. And if you want one of those boxes, they're right out there. When those who are seeking asylum include families with young children, it is clear that another country is not invading our border with the intent of taking over our government. Those who travel north have no reason to destroy the source of their hope. This last week on Election Day, the Secretary of Defense, Jim Mattis, dropped the name Operation Faithful Patriot and do notice that that was done on Election Day. The use of the words faithful patriot was seen as supporting the political purposes of the commander-in-chief. The military bases are now referred to simply as border support. And what are the troops doing? They can't go home. They can't be with family. They are laboriously creating large tunnel loops of barbed wire between the border wall and the four-lane highway behind them. They're setting up tents for additional deployments of soldiers arriving from all over the country. And by law, they cannot interact with those who are migrating, even if they see someone, which they very likely will not. And so they wait. They just wait until they can go home. I tell you, they deserve better than this. It is difficult to believe that your service to our country is meaningful when news carries reports of Pentagon officials shaking their heads dismissively. It's no secret that significant leaders in the Pentagon don't support the troops' presence at the border. Pentagon officials are quoted in this New York Times saying that this is an expensive waste of time and resources and a sure way to destroy morale for those serving in the military. This moment in history is another example why people serving in the military may struggle with imagining how their service is making a difference at all. In addition to the issue of the separation of church and state, it's also why a new young minister would ease the American flag, a symbol of pride in our country, out the side door of a sanctuary. 
and why our congregation members struggle with identifying clearly as patriotic. Well, I've become frustrated with giving over language and symbols to the narrowest definition. I will not give up the word God to those who are religiously conservative and let them define it. And I will not allow the meaning of patriotism or how it is shown to be owned by the political right wing of our country, the white nationalists or those whose lies stir up fear and stir up hostility. What does it mean to be a patriot or to be patriotic? Simply aligning the meaning of patriotism with the decisions of the leader of a country doesn't give the word the power it deserves. When military honors are done for a veteran who has died, I've been surprised at my reaction. Hearing taps played almost always makes me hold my breath. And watching the military guard unfold and then refold the flag and formally offer it to the closest family member makes me so emotional. I find myself holding back tears, and it's a time in my service when I need to hold it together. It's at the very beginning. This happens when I don't know the deceased or the family. So... There's power in that ritual and the meaning of that flag for me that has been buried. Theodore Roosevelt said, patriotism means to stand by the country. It does not mean to stand by the president or any other public official, save to the degree in which that person, that official, stands by the country. It is patriotic to support that person so far as they efficiently serve the country. It is also unpatriotic not to oppose that person if they fail in their duty to stand by the country. In either event, it is unpatriotic not to tell the truth, whether about the president or anyone else. A true patriot is a responsible critic of the government and any government official. Patriotism is expressed not only by following laws, but carefully chosen acts of civil disobedience, demonstrating in the streets, serving the country as a conscientious objector out of principle, voting our values, and anything that is the polar opposite of apathy or making self-serving decisions that deny the rights and well-being of others. And James Baldwin, I love America more than any other country in the world, and exactly for this reason, I insist on the right to criticize her perpetually. What I've come to understand is that feeling patriotic doesn't mean we agree with the policies of the current administration or the actions of elected officials. That is too shallow a meaning. It is certainly easier to feel patriotic when our chosen candidates win in an election, but this isn't about them. Patriotism is tied to our belief in ideals of our country, 
even if the country has not achieved them, even if the country has never consistently achieved them. A patriot is someone who pushes an imperfect country to live up to its ideals. And sometimes, like now, we have to work a lot harder at it than other times. It is hard work right now. In this morning's reading, the poet Ariel Dorfman challenges America. It's a very patriotic poem. And so I paraphrase his words, but hope I express his frustration and his yearning. Where are you? You, with the pioneer energy to believe anything is possible, the America of generosity beyond compare, ready to help others when there is a catastrophe, the country that would never again allow for slaves or slave masters or anything of that dynamic. Where is the America that isn't completely spoiled by excessive wealth, has the courage to conquer our own fear? Can we see our country not as perfect, but worth accepting sorrow and uncertainty and hope? Oh, the hopes for this America. And it is a country worth such hope. I promised a challenge today. And so today you will be invited to take a flag that symbolizes the ideals of this country. Don't let anyone take that away from you. And I invite you to place it where you'll have opportunity to explain what it means to you. And I'll tell you what I do. I, I couple it with something that confuses the mind. So I put it with a rainbow flag. Or I put it uh, with all immigrants are welcome here. And say, come on. Being patriotic, we need to open that up. Don't give it away. Don't give it away. Perhaps the ideals that are there for you are ideals of generosity or equality or opportunity, the courage over fear, the good of the whole over the individual. Maybe you take a flag not because we have achieved it, but because we wish to do so. And may we, may we be worthy of that hope. And look for your flags in the receiving line today. I invite you into a time of prayer and a time of meditation to set aside what you have carried with you all week long. Maybe a time to think about what you have heard and a time to be at peace. Thank you. For all that has been lost, the lives and homes, the land, and the fires in northern and southern California this last week. Gratefulness for the firefighters who put out the fires here on Russell on Friday. For Korean Cook's son, Brad Cook, who lost his home to the fires near Chico. He saved himself and his much-loved 
dog. For those who died in the Thousand Oaks shooting, their families and their friends. And continuing care for Judy Moores as she comes to understand more deeply the loss of her husband, Eldridge. The service is next Sunday, November 18th at 3.30. And you have the details in your bulletin. Spirit of life and love, we take this time in gratitude for veterans who gave kindness to and received understanding from the people in countries where they served, who built bridges of relationships with people in the cities, the villages, the countryside, those who faced violence so that we may know peace, who experienced trauma they cannot speak about freely, made decisions that may not be understood even by those dearest to them. We hold in the light veterans who clearly know the imperfections of leaders, systems, and equipment, and struggled with their fear to companion with others to do what needed to be done. For those who served within this country to support through teaching and service, responding to emergencies, we give thanks. This time is ours to name those who served our country, served the ideals as patriots in the armed services, or other honorable ways to serve this country. You're invited to speak their names into this space. Each of us, each of us is a part of the intricate web of relationships. When one of us celebrates a joy or grieves a loss, the web of life moves to a new shape. We are a part of the turn of the earth, the shift of the stars, the pull of the sea, and all change. Amen. Blessed be. You're invited to take hands in this month of memory in November. And don't forget to talk to Lorraine if you are willing to contribute baby things. We have enough time. The strongest, most enduring solutions take time. We have enough courage to choose to love. We have enough wisdom to use our ideals as a touchstone. We have enough love to reach out to each other and to offer our hand. May it be so, and let this congregation say amen. amen. amen.